welcome you artists and performers trying to find your way through the sands of time to bring your performance art to us. It's Library Punk. I'm Justin. I'm a scholar communications librarian. My pronouns are he and him. I'm Jay. I'm an academic metadata librarian, and my pronouns are he, him. I'm Carrie. I'm a health sciences librarian, and my pronouns are she, her. And we have a guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm April, uh, and I'm an artist and archivist. Uh, recently graduated from an MA program. And yeah, what's up? <laughs> Oh, pronouns are they, them. Yeah, that too. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, so April, you reached out to us about talking about some of your projects that are related to performance art and preserving memory. And so we're just going to jump right into that because I think it's really uh, impressive. And there's a lot of things that I think our listeners are going to find interesting. There's going to be a ton of links in the show notes this week, so please feel free to look around and find things you're interested in, and hopefully we'll find some ways uh, for anyone out there who wants to participate in some of these projects uh, can also get involved. So, April, I just wanted to start. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what brought you to these projects? Uh, Yeah, so... Like I said uh, in the intro, I'm an artist, uh, performance artist primarily, but that sort of encompasses a lot of different aspects of like different media, crosses different mediums and different kind of um, things that I'm doing. And so, yeah, so I kind of started out, like I said, in the Midwest in Nebraska. I feel like MySpace was very prevalent and Facebook was just getting started. Those are things that I was like around at the time. And so like listening to music on MySpace accounts, I was in a performance art group in college and in like uh, 2007, we started in 2007 uh, called Future Death Toll. And we would like book shows off of MySpace. Did you ever do any shows in KC? We tried to do a show at KCI once, and okay. then they yeah. like, rejected our proposal. They, they uh, oh, accepted bummer. the proposal and then rejected it at the last minute. Um, but we did do something at uh, La Esquina. You yeah, know that space? I know where that is. Yep. I was pretty involved. Well, I wasn't super involved, but I kind of hung around a lot of the performance art. And well, I was part of the DIY noise scene down there from about like 2010, 2011 through 20. 14, I guess. And a little bit in 2009, I guess, was probably when I started hanging out with the noisers down there. So, yeah, we probably crossed paths with some of the same Did people. Did you see us play in 2014? <laughs> oh, probably. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the band that was, or the group that was playing with us. Yeah. It was for a tour where we were touring from Brooklyn, New York, and we went down like south to Kentucky and then went to the Midwest and like back around. Yeah. And it was like in the middle of winter, so it was that really shitty right. to like probably, drive. But <laughs> if you if you played at a warehouse or something, I was probably there. If you played at like Vacant Farm or um, uh, Minotaur or um, whatever Vacant Farm became at some point, it became a bunch of things. <laughs> anyway, uh, we probably played in a lot of the same spaces. <laughs> if you played at Kansas City at any point during that time period, uh, we probably had some overlap. So, yeah, I, I was curious. I was like, yeah, if you had, like, any connections, I was like, I bet we had some overlap. <laughs> so, yeah, that's really cool. Are you? And is one of you in, like, Milwaukee right now? That's me, yeah. Uh, we also played at the Center Street Free Space. Yeah, uh, that is no longer there, but yeah. uh, that's right by where I live. Cool, yeah. Yeah, rip that yeah. space. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot the, of rips. Yeah, yeah, we slept on the floor there. It was pretty fun. I bet you probably met some of my friends who are, uh, yeah, in the performance art uh, world here. Yeah, so that gives like a pretty good like, (laughs) like that. So that's like kind of the vibes, uh, the art vibes, uh, noise scene. Like the noise scene was getting pretty like, yeah, happening around that time. And uh, so a lot of like also a lot of collectives uh, were happening. So a lot of people were holding collective like venue spaces, house shows, warehouse house shows, shows um, were all pretty prevalent. And yeah, so when with a lot of this is pre ghost ship, too. And that was like, yeah a big marker for like collective activity, like pre and post uh, ghost ship. Yeah. Unfortunately that becomes like a very like distinct marker for a lot of different things, but it's yeah. Should we provide an explanatory comma on ghost ship? Uh, Yeah. Go for it. You want to do it? Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, So ghost ship was um, basically a communal warehouse, illegal living situation, I guess is squat. With like, and there was a massive fire there that killed a bunch of people. And it was kind of a big wake up call to DIY space culture that was like, hey, um, maybe this sort of thing isn't like safe. And I think that kind of like put the kibosh on a lot of the really great, actually, collective communal energy and experimental projects that people were doing. And someone, I'm not a person who's super into communal living, but. I really appreciated a lot of the energy that went into that sort of stuff. And that was like something that hit really close to home for me because that's a lot of the stuff that I was kind of involved in. And so when something like that happens, it, it shakes you in a way like, you know, well, it had like an immediate effect here in New York. Um, The fire department uh, went to every single DIY space and just walked through every space and wrote enough tickets to shut them down. And so, like, we lost, like, a, a ton of venues to that yeah. right after it. We didn't have as much effect in, like, the smaller Midwestern cities because a lot of that stuff was fairly underground enough. But And there wasn't a lot of people, like, living places as far as I knew. But, like, there was enough kind of crackdown. And I think capitalism did enough of that to at least our smaller Midwestern scenes that, like, capitalism did a lot of that for us. Yeah, I think a lot of reasons why people were living in those situations, too, is because of capitalism, right? Like, there was a reason. I mean, in Oakland specifically, there was a housing shortage. Um, So that also compounded the fact that people were, like, needing a place to to live that had 
you know, a semi-reasonable rent. Yeah. And a smaller Midwestern city, you don't have those problems as severely um, because there's not that push in the same way. But yeah, I think kind of going back to what you're saying, like um, thinking about collective, thinking about collaboration, that's like, so that's sort of what I grew up around or in, in terms of like my early art making days. And that's sort of what has informed me um, throughout sort of like this DIY uh, ethos. And DIY has now had like a an upgrade to like DIT, like do it together as well. So it's like kind of funny, but which DIY doesn't necessarily mean do it by yourself, but it, it's like the idea is like you're doing it, you're doing the thing because like no one else is going to like help you or if you don't do it, it won't happen kind of thing. So, but yeah, I don't know how like how far we need to go into all that. But I think I think that's like a good base to like really explain sort of like the impetus behind a lot of like the work I do and still continue to do. So, yeah, I mean, did you want to cover your education briefly? Because uh, I because that that feeds into some of your performance art. Yeah, so I got a BFA from the University of Nebraska Lincoln uh, State School. Uh, our uh, art building was right across the street from the Cornhusker Stadium. So every Saturday they would lock it uh, so the football uh, fans wouldn't come into our building and like destroy it and like pee all over the floor and like mess up everything in there. So on Saturdays when I needed to go in there, I would scale a fence back on the, like, the kiln pad in order to like get into uh, my facilities. But then so yeah, so I did like the art stuff for like a long time after that and then finally went back to school in two, fall of 2019. Uh, to get the MA degree in uh, Moving Image, Archiving, and Preservation. It's a, a really special title from NYU. And that was sort of because I had been doing so much video to document performance and had been working a lot with communities uh, in New York and specifically in Brooklyn uh, around performance art. Um, I had just like hard drives and all these digital files and uh, videos and stuff and documentation. Uh, I was like, I think I need to understand how to like preserve this better, how to like deal with this because it's like sort of becoming unwielding. And that's sort of what led me into that degree uh, program. It sounds like it lined up really well with what you're doing. So uh, I guess we can jump into human trash dump. Uh, what is it? So yeah, um, so human trash dump uh, sort of started out of, so there's another, it's a kind of like project to project to project, like Future Death Toll was one project that was kind of uh, more performance and noise. And then when I moved to uh, New York in fall of 2012, uh, right after Sandy, I started um, in our apartment. Uh, I have an apartment with my my now spouse, but we started up like a program uh, called Single Channel. And that was basically like a video screen on our wall that we then had like open call for on the internet, like on Rhizome, if you remember Rhizome when it was popular. And we would ask people to uh, submit video and we would show one video for like the month. And so that's sort of where sort of like the seed of human trash dump sort of started. And I had, I had recently also like learned of Aaron Schwartz and unfortunately learned about Aaron Schwartz like uh, after he died and after his court case. Um, but this idea of like open access, uh, the, the Gorilla Open Access Manifesto is linked on one of the links on the all the resources and sort of was trying to think of like a bigger project that could be, again, collaborative and sort of be more immediate than sort of people. Like I kind of, as an artist, I like, I hate 
uh, I kind of hate open calls and I kind of hate um, a lot of the open calls that require you to like pay money because it's already like this other aspect is like, uh, it's like, how can we create more barriers for artists that are already like, you know, not really like making work that's like sellable. Like my work isn't, I wouldn't consider the work that I make necessarily sellable. Like that's not the intention of the work. So Human Trash Jump was a way to sort of realize performance art projects and then uh, specifically like video-based performance art projects. So like I said, I'd already been a part of like, there was like a particular scene I was a part of from like 2012 to 2018 that was like on 104 Messerl Street here. And it was like a two-car garage that had been converted into a performance art venue. Uh, People also lived there. Um, but it had been a space like since like like the like even like I think even in the nineties like in the nineties they've been like grandfathered the people like people like would take it over and call it a different name and then uh, you know do their thing there so that's where I started to meet people that I was like oh maybe these people would want to do because everyone was doing performance art and then like you would do the performance art thing you did and then it would be gone and like you would never see it again and or you'd maybe see some photos on facebook because that was like what you'd end up or on social media right like or maybe someone wrote like a small like piece about what they did or something like that so that was kind of the only documentation sometimes people you know there are other people that did video stuff uh, at the time a lot of like the applications to get grant funding also required you to shoot video uh, if you're doing performance art so it's kind of this funny, like, like what's the purpose of the video? Like, what's the, the, the intent of the video? There's also a lot of pushback uh, from people initially, like, saying, you know, like, video is not performance art because it's, like, the idea is that it's ephemeral. The idea is that it exists for a time. And, like, you have to, like, kind of witness it and participate in this, like, same space uh, as, like, the performer or performers to sort of really, like, kind of get that energy or something yeah so this is during the 2012 to 2018 period where you're in the garage right and so you're you're asking people if they want to preserve what they're doing but this is before you've done your your master's in preservation so what got you wanting to preserve things was it because you know you just wanted to preserve the thing or was it to preserve a scene was it to make almost like a a documentary of remember us, we were doing this here. Because you're, I think the impulse you probably felt is, if we don't record this, no one will ever. And so you've got artistic things on one hand, which is, this isn't supposed to be recorded, but also people need to remember what we're doing because it's cool. And Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that there's kind of a couple things that I was thinking about with that. So there's also a lot of like video art um, there's like, um, I'm going to blank on both the names, EIA experiment, whatever EIA stands for. There's so many acronyms and all this, like even in archiving electronic arts intermix. And then there's also the video data bank in Chicago. And so those are the two major, the major players, if you want to call them that, who like house and preserve like video art, like the history of video art, like they, like artists will give them their videos. And and so like, I was unsatisfied as someone. Oh. No, I was just raising my hand for when you're done. That's what we do. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so please keep talking. That was just yeah, yeah. me going, I have a thought and I'll get to it. You know, yeah, well, I want to hear that thought. But <laughs> like I was saying, like dissatisfied with the fact that like all of this history uh, was inaccessible. Like there is this like element within preservation where it's like that it makes it difficult for someone like 
a person just who wants, who's curious about the history of something to be able to then see it. So what I'm saying is like both of those, they have like a viewing room. Like I think EAI has a viewing room where you can like sign up for an hour slot to like look at videos, but that's like, they're not accessible online. There's obviously there's people that have pirated a lot of this stuff. You can find a lot of stuff online, but like I was sort of unsatisfied with the history of performance art that I was able to see. I was able to read about it in books. I was able to see like black and white photos of it. I was able to, like, that's why I moved to New York. I was able to go see it. Like that was the point, but I wasn't able to like really be able to sort of experience sort of some of those other elements that I wanted to experience or be able to experience. And that's not to say that video doesn't exist of performances, you know, from like the seventies or eighties or something like that. It just, it, it felt like there was a, a gap, a pretty big gap. And so I sort of decided and took it upon myself to say, like, there doesn't have to be this big of a gap and people can, uh, I want people to be able to access this stuff and actually be able to treat this material like sort of as the performance as well. Like, so being able to like, uh, sort of gets me into why I'm using archive.org. People can download all the files in the bundle and like they can then be, like be like in, not in control, but you know can have this material on their end, and that also kind of creates a link uh, to preservation. You know the idea that like you have to have like three copies in in like three ge- like geographically different locations or whatever. You know, but like maybe there's more than three because everyone's you know being able to have their own or whatever. There was also back to Justin what you're like what you're talking about with the broken link of of a BitTorrent now link. I actually found I had saved three of the bundles uh, .torrent files, and I was able to then retrieve them. Like I just was able to pull them because someone else had se- was seeding them. So I was able to just pull down uh, three of these bundles. Uh, and I really wish I would have just saved all of the .torrent files and been able to see if I was able to pull all uh, 16 of those that I was trying to find without having to then rip those CDs. But yeah, it's sort of interesting. Jay, did you want to go first or do you want to go? Which one do you want to go first? Sure. So one, I just, that's one thing I appreciate about like torrenting as a concept is the sort of like you take some but then you also offer like you allow other people like it i am really into like hyper text and like connection on the internet right now so i'm like yeah but one thing you said especially about like you know there was no like formal preservation or documentation but like people might post like a photo or a small video on facebook or i was watching the presentation you have on archive.org where to show your own Tumblr, you had to use um, like the Wayback machine to show it. And like because of sort of like the ephemerality of performance and how that could be a crucial part of it, it made me think about how the social media aspect of how people engage with that is also a part of that. And so I wonder if um, I was curious if you wanted to talk about like not just preserving the performance and the art itself, but also the way that people interact with it. Um, if you've thought about that at all, or if that's one of the reasons why you're interested in um, like the internet archive or anything. Yeah. I'm super interested in like dissemination of information. And so like, I always think about, think about that. I think about like, we used to do like these, cause we were talking about physical media too. I was talking about that with Justin over the DMS and sort of this idea like, of like, creating like these limited editions to like beyond like this archive.org thing. I have like uh, boxes 
in my closet of like VHS tapes. I bought VHS blank VHS tapes off of uh, eBay, like fifty at a time or something like that, and would dub like a bundle like that you'd find on like torrent, like on the torrent site or on archive.org, and just make like uh, twenty five of them and then hand them out, kind of like mixtapes or like whatever, like this kind of idea, like because we don't really like I don't know we don't we sort of like we don't do that anymore. Like, I mean, like making a mixtape for or a mix CD for a friend that mixtapes weren't what I was doing CDs as a kid. My dad was making mixtapes, but so yeah. So this like kind of like the physicalness of something or physicality of like a digital files too. like throwing like some digital files on like a thumb drive and then handing that thumb drive to someone or something like that. And then like, also, I mean, there is like, I mean, in within the noise scene too, there was, I think a lot of people who were interested in like video work, especially when I was living in Portland for the few years before I moved to New York. It's sort of like this idea of like a uh, remix culture, which I think we don't see as much of, of now. Um, I think there is still, I'm sure there is still some, but in terms of just like the, in the DIY like space. So this idea that you could like kind of take these things and, and have them and be able to throw them into your video editor and maybe like cut your own like version of something or cut in like new uh, information uh, into whatever, uh, thing you're doing because like when we were doing you know like future dental stuff is like you know there there'd be uh, samples and like we were like kind of informed uh by like the wax tracks era of chicago like noise and industrial like if you haven't seen like industrial accident it's like a very good documentary about wax track tracks uh records but yeah sort of like this like heavy sample like sampling and stuff like that off of like like uh you know like apocalypse now like ministry taking like an apocalypse now like snippet and like throwing it into like uh into nwo or something like that yeah i wanted to ask about community control because obviously when you're doing vhs's and dvds and cds and burn tapes and all these multiple modes of preservation which are actually really good for keeping things around a long time like it's unorganized but it's good but it's completely antithetical to the way that library and and institutions think about preservation, which is it goes here, it gets duplicated, it goes a few other places. But the thing that really struck me about what you were talking about earlier, much earlier, was just the aspect of community control over these projects. And do you want to talk about like why that community control is important given the people involved, the subject matter? Yeah, like you're talking about like, uh, like community community-based archiving and stuff like that as well in that kind of vein sort of like it doesn't have to be like a community organization even it's just more even even as just a subculture which is the way I'm contextualizing what you're describing is you know we're giving these out we're remixing things we're reusing things but you're creating copies and you're they exist within the community and then that that can become as we've seen in in like with our with the leather archives, maybe someday all of that will just get put into one place and then be independent from an institution, but it will do the stuff that needs to do the long term preservation for you. But right now, it's important to keep people safe, to keep their creative control. So I just wanted to know if you could talk a little more about the community part of community archiving. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. So yeah, like I think like. Even within like the Washington Square video, like so, there is like this element that like like we didn't really debrief before. Like me and my camera operator, like we didn't really like say if someone comes up to you, approaches you, don't speak to them because that is actually like a rule, a pretty hard rule that I follow. 
when doing public action because of uh, my previous interactions uh, or ones that I've seen other people be involved in. Because even within the community, there will be times where like, I'll see, like if I would have seen, there were the wildest one was I was doing a house show in Brooklyn. And this sort of like goes against like that kind of like trust in a way, because like I was doing this like really random house show in Brooklyn in the basement. And then um, like in the winter or something like that. And then like a month or two or three months go by and someone like sends me a social media post. And it's a photo that someone had taken of me in the basement. I don't know when it happened because I don't remember, but it's in like in this Miami uh, art basil like fair. And like, it's like super like kind of weird and like fucked up and like uh, non-consensual and like, and the same way that like that Washington square action is where the camera person like just assumes that I'm like a man in like a skeleton outfit or a skeleton. Like you can't see any of my features, but somehow like they register that that way. Yeah. Can you just tell the whole Washington square park story from the beginning? Like what the action was, what happened for people who haven't seen it. And then of course the, the, the video will be in the link. Yeah. So like prior to that, so I was still in school at the time, um, just finishing up. And prior to that, so everyone who does a work study at NYU is automatically in the grad student workers union. So uh, my finals week of uh, being at, at NYU, I was actually on a picket line for contract negotiations for the grad students. And so I'd already been like out with like signs, like signs like debt free death and that's behind me and stuff like that i cancel student debt so i'd already used that cancel student debt signage like like you know a couple weeks previous uh in this uh union uh strike and then so i then i took it and kind of walked around the outside of my building on campus and then sort of made my way to washington square park in the video i'm wearing like a suit with like a skull like halloween mask and then i'm wearing like my uh, graduation cap and I'm holding that sign that says cancel student debt and I think on the back side it says something like living wages now or something like that to that effect and then um, so I was walking through uh, basically walking past like the library walking into Washington Square which isn't very far from uh, my building uh, the Tisch uh, building and one of the other things that was funny I don't know if you watched the whole video but there's a a part where I walk by a bunch of construction uh, construction workers. Uh, they're sitting on their the park bench, like eating lunch, and uh, one of them just yells at me, "You should have gone to trade school." Like while I'm like walking past them, which is this kind of like a uh, ridiculous thing to yell, but it happens in public art stuff, public action stuff. And so I'm wandering around, kind of like the the big fountain there. It's a pretty iconic, like location, like it's like internationally known area. And so, and that's part of why I went there, you know, because I understood that there would be potentially be like people with cameras or something like that. Uh, so I wasn't like completely unaware of that. And I was hoping that that would actually be the case. But I'm sort of sitting in front of the fountain, I think. Uh, my hat flies off and then I put it back on. I go grab it. And, uh, I think my sign flies in the air. But there's also someone else taking photos while the person who I'm with who's videoing me uh, is videotaping me. And then they sort of, I guess, they walked up kind of next to them while they were filming. And then they uh, sort of were trying to get, basically, you have to have like a, whatever, like a subtitle or a byline. You have to have credits in order to be able to like sell your photos. So he was getting that like base information in order to be, then be able to market his photos 
And so, yeah, so during that interaction, he's like asking questions, sort of interrupting my friend as well in a weird way um, while he's like actively filming me. And sort of, so yeah, and then that I like later on that photo and several other photos uh, of that day, like ended up on like Getty images for like ranging from like 400 to like $700, like licensing fee. And I saw it in like several articles like online too. So like if you search it, like it's in like a, a Forbes article. It's in like a Yahoo article. It's in like some other some other shit. Um, but yeah, there's also the the thing, the incident of him like sort of just assuming my gender and assuming like sort of just like really being very pushy. Also, so like we got the whole interaction on tape, uh, being very pushy about like getting the answers very quickly so he can you know move on to the next thing. Yeah, what that reminded me of was um, his whole cadence and like attitude just reminded me of. Because he comes up and he says, what's this? And your cameraman says, uh, this is uh, a protest against student debt. And student debt, okay, What? Who, who's the artist? And they say April, um, sorry, April. Vendetta. <laughs> April Vendetta. And they say, oh, great. His, and they say, his name is April Vendetta. And the person goes, yes, the artist is April Vendetta. And then the caption that came with the, the video said, student who goes by the name in quotation marks, April Vendetta. And that was the one that got sold. And it just reminded me of that famous clip of Malcolm X when the guy is like, but what's your real last name? It just, it, it, because he didn't do that to you. He didn't go, okay, but what's, what's his name? He didn't do that to you. But it, the tone and the pacing of it, that's where the pushiness felt. It felt like very much like that, <laughs> that situation. So I thought that was, um, obviously extremely rude and then he made money off of your demonstration yeah and it was like money off of like a performance to try and cancel the student debt that i had like it's like and like so that's like super funny like also super ironic or something like that maybe in and then like but also at the very beginning yeah like you're saying he's like what's this about like he just like is literally like what's this about and then my camera person just like uh canceling student debt like the sign says like it is like very funny it's a very funny thing see i read that whole situation as that person was just like a greedy capitalist photojournalist trying to make a buck and like not actually caring so (laughs) um i didn't read too much into that situation other than that person's just like a fucking white ass dude being a fucking white ass dude i didn't think there was too much to read into that situation no it's super transparent (laughs) he was pretty transparent exactly like that dude just wanted to make some fucking money and you were his mark apparently like (laughs) and i find that a little like, I don't want to say it's ironic or carry. I, 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 mine has been cutting out, so I wasn't sure. Also, like by taking a photo of you and then having it in Getty and something, that's a form of preservation of the art you were doing. And so I find that kind of um, like here's like the capitalist way of doing this and having people make money off your image when you had like no say in that. And then put that in contrast to like, what you're doing and like the ethics behind it, where there's kind of a similar through line of like, we are preserving this sort of moment in static time, giving people context, allowing people to view it after. And then just the like, but also the purpose and the outcome of it and like the ethos behind it is so wildly in contrast um, with each other. Yeah. I think what you end up having is like these, it's multiply preserved essentially, but it's, you also have multiple metadata, right? So you have, 
multiple forms of preservation with multiple creators with multiple outputs is what you have. So you have this, you have these like what ex- in this and this transitions into the fragmented archive. <laughs> We're so good at segways. <laughs> oh my god, segway! Don't be the guy that invented segway though, and drive your segway off a cliff. Uh, He's from so New Hampshire, good. apparently. So fucking good. Of course he is. L- live free and die. <laughs> live free or die, baby. <laughs> yeah, and I think like. Also, if there's any listeners out there uh, in listening land uh, when this podcast gets like published that knows how to fucking get a hold of like Getty images, like uh, we actually might have to, like, actually we might have some listeners who have previously or currently work at Getty as archivists. Yo, if you work there, give me a call because I tried calling. I left like uh, I think I left like a voicemail. I did like an email. I like tried to contact the dude on Twitter who took the photo and like he never responded. Uh, this is like, it's, it's, yeah. So, uh, but, yeah. so here we have an assignment <laughs> for you library punks out there. If you can help us take down a photo from Getty, <laughs> let's see what we can do punks. Or at least like adjust the caption. Like that's the, main yeah. <laughs> well, let's get a caption changed. Yeah. It's the quotation marks that do it for me. <laughs> That is one of the funnier aspects. There's a lot of grotesquery around this caption. We just want to change a fucking caption, okay? It's not like a Library of Congress subject heading. But yeah, so uh, community-wise, like, yeah, I think just sort of there is like, and performance art is like pretty public. Like you are putting yourself out there in a different way than maybe putting a painting on a wall uh, in a gallery or something like that. It's kind of got this different element to it. So it's not like, I'm not like sitting here trying to bitch about all this stuff, but it is like this interesting sort of like situation where sort of there is kind of like a cross, a cross of like intentionality as well too, like with the people in the room with like how that thing lives on too. Like you'll see it in like the institutions too. Like there is an institution we uh, worked for. I worked for with a, a group and they canceled our like thing at the last minute because they didn't have like the right codes for the building or something like that the building wasn't up to code so they canceled it right at the last minute but they still kept like us and like our project up on their website because like it makes them look good it make and also like i don't know about everywhere else but i'm assuming everywhere else like nonprofits, like you have to like report numbers like you have to report how many people you like served and so that's in quotation marks can't see me on the podcast to like to then like prove your worth or prove your value to then like make more, you know, to be receive more money or more grant funding or something like that. So like, and we can talk about grant funding and gig economy of like archiving and preservation later if you want, but like, and that's also a whole other fucked up situation. But yeah, it's sort of also like, so why I'm not an archivist. I actually have an archives uh, degree. <laughs> I'm a health sciences librarian. Yeah. And also if anyone's looking to hiring, uh, out of the podcast hiring capabilities i am available for work and in a let's, lot of student debt. let's fire up the pipeline <laughs> yeah absolutely i'll share whatever you want me to if you want to if you want me to tweet your cv i'll do it so i kind of want to move on to the fragmented body a little bit so can you tell me a little bit about that project because we've already talked about like your your back and your, your movement through different social media and like realizing things aren't going to preserve things so you started the fragmented body 
in Tumblr, right? Yeah. So the concept of Tumblr's fragmented body was sort of like, I mean, Tumblr is very visual in the same way that like Instagram is visual, but like Tumblr had this amazing way of like sort of allowing you to cascade images and video and like photo and like more of collage based it, not like shitty Pinterest, but like uh, in a more interesting, like interactive way. And so what was cool about that is you could like, you know, you could re like, you know, you could add other people's like content, other users content uh, to your page. And like, so you could like draw connections to, to people and, and different um, imagery and, and other like, you know, digital media. And so fragmented body was sort of this idea that I was starting to have. And I think it, it played a large role in like, sort of also, I was probably one of those people and I know there's a lot of people out there. I'm sure there's a lot of think pieces out there about like Tumblr being like this like place for people to like start to explore different like aspects of like who they are. Like there was a lot of like, I feel like there was a lot of like, I'm sure you could talk to a lot of trans people probably and like have them like tell you they're like Tumblr like influences or something like that. Or just like just the idea that like it felt very open and like very like a, a, a cool space to like be able to like share different images and different ideas. And so that's sort of where it started um, and where it kind of, where that particular aspect of it sort of ended uh, once uh, Yahoo purchased it and like censored all the censored everything. Uh, Jay, Sadie and me all know each other from Tumblr because we were in the librarian community on Tumblr for a long time. And, uh, actually, my first professional presentation as a librarian was about Tumblr. And, and I was basically saying what you were saying, which is like, it's the only site that will allow you to show off your special collections in a way that provides context and meaning. Because everyone at this time, this is around 2012, was trying to have their own blog because blogging was still a thing. So bloggers going around and we would have these blogs deep in the university web page and no one ever read. And I said, okay. Let's it's like a finding let's, aid. <laughs> yeah, let's do that somewhere else where there's already a lot of other museums who are going to reblog our stuff and librarians. And then, of course, um, a lot of those people uh, eventually have migrated out. And there's not really a big librarian presence there anymore. Yeah, I really appreciate your focus on like the. Um, I don't want to go all like medium is the message on it, but like your focus of how this presents information as a platform and incorporating that into the project itself and not just going, Oh, this is a, a good way, like a cool layout, or this is like a good way to show information, but making that a part of the project itself. Yeah. I just, I really love that because <laughs> I feel like not a lot of people focus on like, yeah, they will be like, Oh, this is a good way to show this, but not including that as part of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I wrote a note earlier. When you were talking about sharing tapes and sharing media with each other, I wanted to get your your reaction on why this can't happen or why it hasn't happened on places like YouTube or TikTok, which allow the reuse, quite a lot of reuse, to a point where it's absolutely obnoxious the way things are reused. Um, But why isn't that? Because of the public and and capitalist nature of those platforms, like why do you think they're not working? Why why is it? Do you have a preference for the analog world? Do you think that uh, you know sub communities should stay in that in that analog and physical media world? Twenty twenty two year physical media. I mean, I could probably. (laughs) 
I could probably write a dissertation on why YouTube sucks. Like, it's, like, steadily gone down. Like, I mean, like, there was a point in which YouTube was very cool, and you could, like, do lots of, like, you could see. Also, like, there was, like, niche, like, like, there's definitely niche, like, porn, like, fetish stuff that used to be on YouTube that's no longer on it. They definitely banned that at a specific time. And I can't remember in my brain when it was, but they definitely were, like, specifically targeting, like, fetish communities. But... Yeah, I think the idea that, like, everything needs to be monetized, like, here's the thing, too, like, I mean, as an artist, as someone working in in digital media, like, and someone who's not making a lot of money or isn't making a lot of money off their stuff or isn't trying to, like, a free platform provides a great space to do something, but that free platform becomes, like, an exchange that, like, in a lot of ways, like, I'm not willing to, like, negotiate with in a lot of ways now, Like, like, you know, the way that Instagram, like, uh, you know, mines your data and the ways in which like that free thing isn't really free because they're getting something. The corporations are getting something from it. Like they're taking things from you. And so like they were even like there was um there was a whole study, like someone was doing like taking YouTube transition stories and doing like face was like face scanning on all the people who were doing those and like compiling that data and compiling that information off of like these transition story videos. I can't remember what year that was, but it was not that long ago. And it was like pretty fucked up. So it's like another reason why like, and so like even like some of those like challenges that they have on Instagram where it's like show your past photo and show your like present photo. Like some of that stuff is like, they want like both those images so they can like then like, you know, have that face information. It's very like minority report. Maybe that's the right is that the right sci-fi reference? I don't fucking know. It's but, like all the <laughs> tweets that are like, "What? What was the your favorite album that came out the year you were born?" And I'm like, "Uh huh. I'm my favorite album is the one that's not gonna give you password hints. <laughs> that's what it is." Yeah, I think. I also yeah, just don't think, want think, anyone knowing how old I am. Yeah, and I think like Tumblr. Like I think you're right. Like Tumblr. Like had this element of like being able to of, like connectivity that I felt more connected to, like, not necessarily like uh, I was friends with everyone I followed or something, but there was like, it felt more like you could reach out to people. And I don't think like, I don't really feel like TikTok or YouTube ever had that. And like YouTube is like overrun now with like fucking PragRU bullshit and like all this other, like, just like really terrible, like conspiracy Well, the way YouTube's designed, YouTube's YouTube's algorithm is designed to escalate your content right so it's like once you start watching one thing it's just going to keep testing you to see what you will watch next right so it's like okay you liked this thing well are you ready for the next thing like so that's what it keeps doing to you and it's it's just an excellent escalation i flagged a prague are you video once and they closed my like google account and i had to like contact them to like reinstate it yeah the the point carrie makes is what I was about to say is that these platforms, these newer platforms are algorithmically driven, whereas Tumblr was user recommendation driven. So you would follow someone with similar tastes and they were recommending things. They were reblogging things that you liked. There was no algorithm to it. It was actually truly social. It was the same way where like someone tells you about a band they like. Whereas when an algorithm tries to do that, like I just got my Spotify wrap up in, in the year. It's like, wow, you really like this band. It's like, no, I couldn't find any fucking other musicians because you kept giving you me the same that 10 for me, songs. Spotify. You kept playing that for, for me. Like, yeah. you did that. You kept showing me that in your yeah, algorithm. Is- That's you, Spotify. 
Mine is always like, you listen to this one Maria Callas opera area for like two weeks straight. Are you okay? <laughs> uh, my Spotify wrapped is an iPod classic. One other thing I hadn't uh, mentioned yet that I want to mention is like zine culture and how important like that is and still is and like zines. You guys had the zine guys on, zine peoples on one podcast. Was yeah, it, we had Milo was, on. Yep. Yeah, Milo. Yeah. So yeah, there's like this element too of like sort of this maybe limited run or like a run done by like this idea that's done by like, you know, kind of like one person with like a, a standing in a photocopy or something like that. Like there is this like, and then also like going to a show or something like that and like handing out zines. Like there is like very, again, in like sort of the tape swap situation too. Cause that's also like when we do noise shows and we wouldn't make any money, like we would just trade CDs with like the people that played or something like that, you know, like, or if someone had a zine or something like that, like that, like that is sort of, it was, it was better to me than like, yeah, getting like an algorithm to tell me what I want to look at. Someone once tried to pay me in cigarettes and I don't smoke. Well, you could probably have sold those cigarettes to someone. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not much of a salesperson. <laughs> so like, that's more effort than it's worth. I'm just like, no, just give me money. Damn it. This isn't prison. <laughs> Yeah, money would be preferable. What I do to deserve this? <laughs> no, I, you know, I was just like, uh, thanks, but no thanks, kind of a deal. Uh, I was like, you could give those to someone else who would probably appreciate those more than me, but I appreciate the gesture. April, you have um, in I, what is it? The fragmented archive, which I think is like thesis one. I was reading it and highlighting it. There's a couple of things I want to just quote real quick. Uh, an archive can override a dominant narr narrative. An archive can give people access to ideas outside of a suppressed framework that has been put in place to keep the status quo. Performance artists must look beyond the institution's wall to consider archiving and preserving performance art as part of a DIY community effort. As we break from the institution, we can create fragmented community archives where something much more compassionate can form. A fragmented archive is not an archive with missing pieces. A fragmented archive is a way to understand a complex set of numerous entangled connections and what it could mean to play a small part of a larger whole. Uh, have you thought a lot more about what a fragmented archive is? And, and is it not? That's a mean question. Is it an archive? But is it, does it perform that role of pres preservation well when we do it this way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's less about it being well maybe about the wellness of it and more about like the reality of it. Cause currently that is sort of like the reality we exist in. Like, <clears throat> like NYU special collections has some really amazing, like the downtown collection is amazing. And like, they have the riot girl collection there. Um, they have like the David Wanarovich, like answering machine tapes. And like, he was a very like political and very like, you know, meaningful artist in the history of art and the history of, you know, of all sorts of different aspects of who he was, you know, and these other people that are part of that archive. But like, I have really haven't really been able to experience or like see any of that, you know, like I we have, you know, you throw, you throw a little bit of a, you know, you can sort of see some of it, like we had um, some online, like, like the fine, there's the online finding aid for it. But, but yeah, I think like, I think it's more about understanding that that is sort of what's happening. And sort of giving people uh, sort of more of a, like a, I guess, like a wake up call or more of a realization that like, like if you also like not every artist, like special collections don't want every single artist collection. They want ones that are the most valuable also in air quotes and value 
uh, is dictated differently by different institutions and different people. Like value can be money based, value can be like more like spiritual based or whatever. You know, how are you define value? So it's more. It's more of a real. It's also a realization I kind of had to come to through going through school in a way, and I didn't really quite understand it as much. I had an idea, but really, like going through the school program and really seeing and going to like the Library of Congress in Culpeper, Virginia, and I want to talk also about like institutional resource hoarding and like how there is no way for someone like me to go out and actually find a TBC, a time-based corrector, for like people who don't know, like. A time-based corrector minimum on eBay is like $600. And that's like not one that is very good. And so like going to like Library of Congress and Culpepper and seeing like the pallets, the room of pallets of just like spare parts that they have hoarded and they have like secured there. And like, I understand it's like the national whatever treasures, but like at the same time, it's like, well, who else gets to do this? And like, who else gets to do this at like the archival standard? Like, you know, they were being taught about this archival standard, this idea that you're supposed to add TBC into your workflow in order to have like the right signal generated from like your VHS transfers or whatever tape transfer you're doing. And like, so, I mean, like what you're reading or the quotes you were kind of quoting were sort of, it was also more of me kind of being introspective and realizing that like, Again, time and time again, realizing that I have to do it and I have to do it. If I have to do it, like we should also think about doing it. Other people should think about doing it too. Because um, I was also, I have in my notes actually, uh, that my work is directly a product of a lack of support uh, money and, an, and institutional resource hoarding. So like when I left undergrad uh, and had all this access to all this like fancy equipment you know uh, welding equipment a, a room just for mixing rubber a plaster room a foundry where i could pour like aluminum and and bronze and like a kiln yard where they had all sorts of kilns in it i left and had nothing and that's actually why i turned to video because i didn't have a studio and so i video was easy it was something i could carry in my pocket or my backpack uh, it only costs a few hundred dollars. And so and, and every time I buy a video camera or any sort of equipment like that, I almost always buy refurbished if I can or used equipment because at the end of the day, like I know that I can't go out and buy like that 6K camera or the 4K camera that other people are, even a 4K camera. I mean, my computer came in support 4K like videos. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's sort of what that's sort of stemming from. Jay, did you have your hand up? I, I did. It's uh, related to when you brought up David Wojnarowicz. So if you had something more directly related, Carrie, you go ahead. <laughs> okay, thanks. I ha- So I like I said, I used to do a little archivey stuff and I was in sound archives and I was at a Association of Recorded Sound Collections conference in 2013. And um UCLA was trying to launch a moving image archives program at that time. And so speaking to a lot of the things you were saying about resource hoarding and kind of looping back to what you were saying about your debt and your debt load from NYU, particularly, and how like, especially for something like moving image archives, you really only have a few schools that specialize in these programs, right? So like with with this like kind of like, yeah, two to three. Yeah. Depending on how you look at it. Right. So with this kind of combined problem of institutional resource hoarding 
and the scarcity of programs. Like, who can actually fucking afford to do these kinds of programs in the first place? So you have scarcity of availability. So people are going into massive kinds of debt to enter these types of programs. So the debt load to enter these types of programs is fucking massive in the first place, um, as you've explored through your work. And it's really, I think that's impactful. And I like that when you opened your talk that um, I watched before we did this episode, you actually started by saying the exact amount of debt that you had, which $94,000. Yeah, exactly. And I think we need to be more upfront about that. So talking about that upfront. So people are taking on massive amounts of debt loads to do these kinds of programs. These jobs don't fucking pay. There aren't very many of them. And these programs aren't accessible. They're also very short and often contract-based and often like one-year grant funding. Exactly. And that's why I didn't stick with sound archiving and went and got a job in a health sciences library (laughs) because I knew I couldn't like support myself as a single human being because nobody's going to fucking marry me. Uh, (laughs) um, And like, I mean, this is 10 years ago too, but I'm still not married. So my planning worked on that level. But I mean, it's just like one of these things where it's like, what the fuck is our profession thinking when we're creating these kinds of programs with these massive, you know, costs with no work for the people who graduate from them? It's irresponsible. It's and it creates an unsustainable situation. Yeah. And at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, a lot of the, there was a lot of layoffs and a lot of those layoffs were in museums and at least in museums here, um, the Met laid off a ton of people everywhere. Public libraries in a lot of like major cities laid off tons of people. So like the Chicago public library and a lot of those major city libraries have, you know, archives and do programs like that they have some resources like i think chicago public library laid off a lot of their media program yeah getting like sort of back a little bit back to like justin's like initial question or initial thought about like sort of this fragmentation and understanding the fragmentation and sort of understanding the ways in which fragmentation can occur like that's sort of what the topic or the talk was sort of about like sort of understanding these like that's also like something again like i said in the presentation and that we sort of like learned through school and like this idea that like an archivist can look at material and not put themselves into the material in some sort of like non-biasy, like non-biasy way. And sort of, so you're also putting, you know, yourself into the material that you're looking at. But yeah, I think it's to understand that like, yeah, so like maybe that part of like that David Wanarovich stuff is like, is locked up at the NYU special collections, but there's like other things, other people that, you know, generate work that's influenced by, by him or something like that. And so that then creates sort of like a, a new like way to look at that work or a new way to look at someone else's work. And like, I, I was think I said it already, but like this idea that, yeah, not every artist is going to like suddenly be like, get their materials acquired by some like, institution or something like that and so it's getting people to understand that like even if they're not if they're performance artists and they're not like um interested in video videoing their performances they should still be like thinking about you know archiving and preservation preserving their material and also thinking about like if you're in a community how can you do that together you know how can you share your resources because that's a huge problem i was always hoping and always trying to initially also sort of start even like a 
place where we could all like people like in the community could like, you know, borrow cameras or borrow equipment like from each other and sort of stuff like that as a way to sort of share resources. Yeah, I, I wrote this down while you were talking about resource hoarding and you talked about doing things and this is an audio medium. So you did finger quotes and you said archival standard, uh, which is resource impossible due to institutional hoarding. And also like, I wouldn't even categorize it as hoarding, although I do like that framing and I am going to use it. So I'm not going to gonna argue with it, but it's also like staffing and stuff and just interest and grants and all the same stuff. So, cause there are people in the Academy who would probably agree with the stuff that you do is important. It's just like, the odds of you finding them and them finding money is very low. But like you're saying, to be able to preserve something at an archival standard now, you can't do because there's no institutional interest. And if and if there were, could you really trust the institution to do a good job and not mothball it for 50 years? Whereas, you know, the historical record, you know, now this is me putting on my historian hat, the historical record will just have to do with whatever it gets. And so you doing if this this conscious best that you can do archiving is still going to be the way forward for sub for collections of like subcultures like this, because that's how the weather archive started. It, it's, you're not going to have the best tools at the beginning, but one day, you know, maybe your life's work will end up becoming, you know, not to get morbid, but maybe at the end of your life, your life's work might all be around. You've preserved it well it could become its own thing in the future. But isn't that like what everyone always dreams of when they want to try to donate their shit to the library? I I don't know if that's what it is because there's a difference between doing that in a subculture. Whereas if it's like I'm a senator and I, I every single time I got a death threat, I wanted to make sure that someone else laughed at it too. You get really tied up too. And like we go deep end on like a leg artist legacy stuff, but yeah. 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 But I'm just thinking of, Preserving things so that historians who who will value it in the future, someone will That's value That's such a historian this. thing to say. <laughs> it, it also weirdly jumps into exactly what I wanted to, to ask you. Perfect segue. So you brought up uh, David Vonarovich, and I immediately, and like in the context of preservation, and also like we're talking about like, you know, institutions getting involved in this, especially like like with art and like you know, having your collections. And I immediately thought about um, that, like, David Vonarovich, like, gallery exhibit that happened, like, a few years ago or something, and how his image and his art gets used now. And, like, hearing people be like, you know, all of the people who were there and the institution that's collecting it is so antithetical to what he was actually doing when he was alive and part of me is like well he's dead he doesn't know but that sort of like capitalist can like consumption of this person's work but we're framing it as this like look we're preserving and people can come to an art museum and and come see it and we're protecting it for the future it's the che Guevara t-shirt yeah exactly (laughs) and so i was wondering especially because you're so interested in ways of like i love this idea of like a fragmented archive and like it's a dump it's not a cloud like i love your way of framing this of not just let's preserve this but there's a specific way this might need to happen so i wonder if you had thoughts about like you know you know maybe not just you but like in general like once an artist or someone whose work or something would be preserved for future generations how much do you think about like what the mission of their work was versus how it's preserved and then disseminated like the ethics of that in how you approach 
preserving your art and this sort of um, framework you're suggesting. Yeah, I don't know if you're talking which um, Wanarovich uh, exhibit you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, which one? <laughs> but I actually have a really good like uh, to like bolster what you're saying. Like, like a really good example is the retrospective at the Whitney, and the Whitney has like this giant, huge brand new like spanking new space down in chelsea that might be what i'm thinking of and what's like i i guess i i don't use the word ironic what's interesting about that is so they had a retrospective there but that like space and that like whole area has been like gentrified and that's like right like literally you look out the windows of that exhibition and it is the piers where he was spray painting where he was like sucking dick where he was like doing like all the things that David Wanarovich would do in like this like subculture way, like cruising, like all the stuff is like happening there and it's gone because of gentrification because of like that kind of stuff. And it's sort of like, yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if he were alive, like what he would think about that. If like that would be, I don't know. Yeah. We don't, we'll never know obviously, but it is sort of this idea and like that also like like in thinking of like land like like NYU is like you know they're they're like a landowner first and then like a school second like they own they the way they've spread out here like they now have like campuses downtown Brooklyn that wasn't like that before and like the way they spread across like Dubai. You know, all parts of Manhattan uh-huh <laughs> Dubai <laughs> yeah yeah Dubai uh you know, and there's no secret that they why they were in the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> like that. I don't. Know, I sent it. So I sent this video still to Justin in the DM. If you've seen the live action Super Mario Brothers film with John Leguizamo, you would know, and Dennis Hopper, you would know that like that whole thing starts because NYU student, an NYU student who turns out to be the princess is down there digging up dinosaur bones at the Brooklyn Bridge. So, and there's like an NYU flag, like at the dig site, like, and it's just like, it's a funny, it's a funny picture. It's almost as good as fucking Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse having like a philosophy <laughs> PhD from NYU. <laughs> uh, one of my friends yeah. from grad school was at NYU when uh, the Olsen twins were there. And <laughs> apparently I think they, I think that was when they filmed New York Minute or something like that. I don't know. This is a long time ago. But I, <laughs> but I slightly jumped off your off your question, Jay. You were you were. Can you say a little bit more? Say to like, repeat just a little bit of it. Yeah. So it had me thinking about like you know like like Justin was bringing out like having like donating your life's work or having an institution collect something. Like I remember when Lori Anderson like donated Lou Reed's stuff to the New York Public Library, for example. And so, like, when institutions collect these things and, like, yes, they are the ones that probably can afford and have the resources to preserve some of this stuff. Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. But often, like, the way it might be preserved or exhibited or disseminated might be antithetical to the spirit of the work. And it seems like your idea of this, like, trash dump versus a cloud and, like, the fragmented body archive versus sort of the quote archival standard stuff seems to be grappling and like grappling. Is that the word? I don't know. Like in conversation with like the methods of preservation and holding on to it, actually sort of um, not ignoring the purpose and spirit of the work. If 
if that clarifies it at all. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, thank you for repeating. Um, I think like, so yeah, so with like the going back to like this idea that like there are multiple copies, like it's hard to tell, maybe hard to tell like uh, what is that like initial like source copy, like in terms of like provenance too. Like I'm interested in playing with that in terms of like, yeah, like kind of giving away artwork to friends or sort of creating like that is sort of where the community sort of comes back into play because then there's other people that are now in charge of like taking care of something and like taking care of it in a way that isn't necessarily like uh, the same way that like an institution would take care of it or whatever. I think that that is a really good question <clears throat> that I don't actually have a full answer to because I don't know. I, I think it, it is, it's difficult because like there, there is like a part of you, I think of me that is like, yeah, I'd love to like get my like work in whatever you know, prestigious collection if, but like if, if it means that like more people would be able to see it or if it means there's like, there would be like a lot of ifs I feel like, or a lot of like caveats. And I don't think from what I understand, and I haven't been in like the archiving world that long, but from what I understand, it wouldn't really be possible in a lot of situations because people are, places are usually understaffed, underfunded, People aren't getting paid very much. They're not going to have a lot of time to like take like my stuff and like show it to people, you know, like there is like an element of that too. So like there is like, you know, sure. Like I think the resource hoarding may be, you know, smaller than the, 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 the true fact of the matter that like many places are woefully underfunded, woefully understaffed. People are getting paid not very much. And that's like where a lot of difficult difficulties lie within like an institution or like the priorities change. Like if like, a, you know, they collect something that they thought was valuable and then they get something like something else comes along or something changes. And like maybe that just goes and sits on a shelf and then something else takes priority or something like that. You know, like it just it depends on what the collecting institution is doing or the collecting uh, organization and how they, you know, how they interact with the interface with like the public too. Right. Cause a lot of the, a lot of these places in terms of like maybe like museum, like or in terms of like private collection or special collection, some of those don't interface as much with the public as maybe like a museum. that's like, you know, showing work periodically or, and some of those works though in museums uh, aren't shown as much as others, you know, because they're not like, I don't know, like a Jeff Koons or some, I don't, whatever, like some other, some, whatever is popular, even what they were popular at the time, you know, like there's something that's been shelved for probably, you know, years because it's just not what the institutions wanting to show at the time. So I think that there's a lot of factors there. And I think that it is, yeah, there's not one right answer, but I, I do think that the work is sort of antithetical to like a, a collection institution like it almost wouldn't fit in a way because it's like and it's sort of forcing you have to sort of force it's force it to fit in a way that wouldn't really would kind of break the spirit of the work like you're kind of talking about like it wouldn't be able to exist as freely or as like spontaneously uh, or as sporadically like I, I kind of one of the first like noise like whatever albums i made put on archive.org is called sporadic dissemination because it's like the idea is like people would download it, but I have no idea who's downloading it, how it's being downloaded. Like I'm not like, I don't have like the tools <coughs> archive.org, at least for the user doesn't have the tools to know who's like downloading it from where or how often, like that kind of stuff. I have like the number, but I don't have like the, the stats, all the stats as the user or whatever. 
and nor do I necessarily care. It's sort of just this idea that like, I mean, like another good example is like in 2000 and like when I was living in Portland in 2002, maybe like 13 or 14, or no, it'd be, it'd be more like 2010 or 11, maybe I sent a tape in the mail, which is something you used to do to like radio stations and stuff like that. But I sent a tape to a host of a show called My Castle of Quiet, uh, William M. Berger at WFMU in New Jersey. And he, uh, he's since passed away, but like, he like wrote me back. Like he like wrote me like, you know, he like wrote me back. Like, and we had typed it out. Like we had this funny, like we had this funny like typewriter and I like typed out like a handwritten, a typewritten letter with the tape in it that we like hand printed. And year like so it was years it was actually years later so it was like more like probably 2008 or 9 but like years late, years later we ended up doing like a, a live set on his show like in 2014 uh he like we like it, we were able to arrange it we kind of kept in contact and he was kind of like one of those people that like he gravitated towards that action or that like idea as opposed to me like sending him like and it's also got his attention in a way that like an email, uh, like a, you know, just like a, an email from like a MySpace with a MySpace link or something like that would have probably just gotten not even read or not even returned, like replied to, you know? Yeah, it's great. I'm sure we could keep going, but I, I need to wrap up. I've got a heart out today, but how can we always end on a action oriented question? And so how can people support your work and, or how can they participate in Human Trash Jump if they want to, uh, or any of their other projects? Yeah, so I'm not really like on social media anymore. I sort of like took a break, big, big long break from that. It's like I was like, DMing you from like uh, our future death toll account because it was like the only one we made for Twitter. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so Human Trash Jump is on archive.org. You could just search uh, on archive.org site. Uh, maybe that'll be in the link. It'll probably be in the link resources anyways. Yeah, it'll be the top link. Yeah. But uh, if people want to get in touch, if you have like a digital, like, I mean, the, the cool thing about archive.org is, you know, you can like upload like ISO files, you can upload like, you know, audio files, you can upload. We have stuff on human trash dump that's like PDFs. Uh, someone made like a manual about how to make like mind control videos. And so, and like, there's a video of me like showing off like a, like my sex toy collection. Like, so like, we're very open to like any amount, uh, whatever it is you're interested in, like, uh, showing, um, you know, within obviously within the bounds of like non shitty material, but <laughs> like shitty is in like right wing or fascist, but you could email me. I think the email would probably work. And that's just human trash dump. And that's at gmail.com. Yeah. Or just, you know, take a look at the things that are up there. I think what's, What's also really important to stress sort of about like the fragmented archive or the fragmented like body stuff is sort of like, like a lot of the work that I have done is like a lot of, there's been a lot of like internal work that I've done on my, on my own. That's sort of, that's like the, one of the main, like an action that isn't maybe as visible. And so I think that everyone can go and like do those things too. And like maybe think about ways in which, yeah, like ways in which maybe you, you can connect with other people or collaborate with other people because the internet has gotten to be such like a, a shithole, it's sort of harder to to feel like I can be like on social media or feel like I can sort of like exist in those spaces. So like think about ways in which you can collaborate in your community, show up for your community of creative makers. You know, even like we're working on like a oral history project, like talking back to 
looking back at people in the community who like, that kind of like that era maybe ended, but like there are still people active and like new people who are active. And so like embracing the, the fact that there are new people and I'm like getting older, like, that's super important. And, but then also understanding that like, you know, how, how can we support like uh, newer artists as well too, because they're also just trying to figure it out. So like, I'm trying to also give like some shortcuts here, like to some of this shit, like, you know, that's like some of the writings and some of the, the stuff that I'm doing. I'm not telling people they need to copy me, but I'm telling people that like, yeah, the art world is just as shitty as any other like world. And the art world is many different worlds. That's also very fragmented, you know, like uh, there's the blue chip art gallery world. There's the DIY, whatever. There's, you know, multitude of art worlds. So when you speak about art, you know, you're, you're already like fragmenting that. Like it's already like a lot of different tiers, a lot of different spaces. So I think that that's uh, important to keep in mind. Um, but yeah, I'll keep it at that. Yeah. If there's anything you forgot to add to the notes, just I'll add them in the notes. Anything we want to retweet, we'll retweet it for you. And then good night. <laughs> <laughs>